You have reached Alyssa. Please leave your message after the tone. Welcome to the second episode of Dear Seekers. I'm your host, Sasha Shao. What you just heard was me trying to call Elisa Bertram, founder of Easy Period. I want to get some updates from her because since we recorded our interview last November, many awesome things have happened in her life and with her business. She won the first place at an Ignite startup pitch competition, the No Shame campaign for her business that she worked with Cosette Media, landed a third place as the Creative Campaign of the Year 2017. And she contributed to this book called Your Term, that's sending advices on poster cards to girls in Canada. Don't worry, I will share our phone conversation towards the end. But first, I really like you to meet Alisa and get to know her story. I'm Alyssa Bertram. I am a woman from Toronto who started a subscription delivery service for organic cotton menstrual hygiene products. And I grew up just outside of Toronto in a smaller town called Pickering, which I, it was a good place to grow up, but I definitely wanted to get out as fast as I could just to expand my horizons. So when did you come to Toronto or so move to Toronto? I moved to Toronto when I was 18 when I started university at Ryerson. Um, I got a little apartment building actually just up the block from here. So the life in Toronto started then? Then, yes. It looked very different than it does now. So I was kind of like wild. I was wild. Yeah. Like I was doing well in school and focused on that and I was working. But then on the weekends, I was just partying like crazy. Were you a party anymore? I was a party. Really? Yeah. I can tell actually. I know. Yeah. Because I'm not like that anymore at all. But yeah. How did you change from... Yeah, it was a process. So years of that, like Mm -hmm. that was kind of what we did where I grew up was just party and drink and... Was it because Pickering is such a small town? Well, not small town, but it's like compared (laughs) to Toronto, it's small. Yeah. Um, People in Pickering don't hate me. (laughs) No, it's It's compared to Toronto, it's smaller. Um, So when you got here, it was almost like, whoa, this new door opened. Yeah. Lots of excitement opened up. And I think it was kind of like... I was partying in Pickering. Like, that was all I knew. That was what we did for fun or to celebrate things. And then when I came here, I just continued doing that. And I don't think I had discovered yet what I really liked to do or who I really was. And that took time. It was a process, so. But it's kind of crazy nowadays thinking about it. The society expects you to know exactly what you want to do right after graduation from high school. You have to pick the things you want to do, major, and then that's going to stick with you for four years isn't that crazy? Totally. You're expected to know something right away mm-hmm. um, when you're 18. Yeah. That's like a transition period from teen to, you know, adulthood. Yeah. You're just discovering who you are. Mm-hmm. I actually went back to Ryerson and I was speaking to some students and they were asking me, you know, they were interviewing me and they were saying, how important do you think it is that you do something after graduating that has to do with your degree. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, to be completely honest, I don't think it's that important. I think beyond like the subject matter you're learning, the skills that you're learning in university are applicable wherever you want to take them. So I think it is that process of, you know, you study something and you discover certain things about yourself through that. 
Um, but I don't think that people should feel married to whatever they studied. When I was young, my aunt Penny, she um, asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I don't know. And she's like, well, you need to know. You have to fix that. So, How old were you when she asked that question? I was maybe like six. Wow. And so you expected to know when you were six, six years old. Right? That's so scary. She, she said to me, so what do you like to do? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I like to talk to people and I like to give advice, which is so funny because that <laughs> is still, years old. that's me still. But right now you're pretty much doing the similar the thing. things. Yeah. Yeah. And so she said, hmm, well, let's look up what profession you could do where you could incorporate both. And she, she suggested psychology. So then from then on, if anyone asked me what I was going to do, I'm going to be a psychologist. And I stuck with that. I went to university for it. Um, and I am kind of weirdly doing that now, but not under the profession of psychology. At the end of my degree, I did a research thesis. So I started to get into research and to kind of understand that world. And then I was really fortunate. So right after graduation, I had no in-between stage where I didn't have a job. I had applied for this role at the nursing department at Ryerson doing research. And I got that job and it was a job that I applied for kind of thinking like, there's no way I'll get this. And I got it and I got the opportunity to work under this amazing researcher named Soraya, this woman who's just really well respected in the field. So learned a lot about research. Growing up, Elisa knew she wanted to do something related to psychology and people. That was very clear to her, but there was always been something else she wasn't sure about. Growing up, I feel like I valued doing well in school, but it wasn't something that necessarily came natural to me. So I would try really hard and I would end up doing well. So analytical, that analytical side was there. I've always loved to read. I love to learn. Um, And it took me kind of growing into adulthood to see my creative side and to respect it. You know, I was somebody who as a kid, I didn't feel like I was good at drawing or art class. Um, So I didn't think I was creative. And actually reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron is what showed me that I'm creative, but I've blocked myself. I've told myself, you're not creative. You're not good at that. And I've forgotten the ways I am creative. So I can tell a great story. I love to write. I think I can bring things out of people that I see in them. And I think those are forms of creativity, but not necessarily the traditional form. In the summer of 2015, I was really struggling with my mom's health. So she was having a really tough time and she um, actually was in a coma for eight days and we weren't sure if she was going to make it. And She's healthy today and I say that I introduced the story that way because that was really a catalyst for me. It was a really scary time and I felt very vulnerable and afraid. She just all of a sudden got sick or it was a it was a process. process it yeah. was yeah, it was kind of years in the making. Um I struggled with it a lot and then I just kind of found this strength to just deal with the situation and just accept it. I think I accepted my biggest fear which was potentially losing my mom. Um, And in doing that, I gained some strength inside. So I gained kind of this awareness, I think, that like life is short and 
there's no time to waste. And um, I had been really unhappy at the job that I was in. I was feeling stifled and bored and I had friends doing creative things and I admired it and I wished I was involved in something like that. And the only kind of inkling of hope that I had was this idea for this delivery service for tampons. I had talked about it to people and the feedback was always, that's a really good idea. That's actually, I think that could actually work. And so after my mom started getting better, I just made a decision. Instead of thinking about it or talking about it, I just decided I was doing it. And I just started taking the steps toward it. So I found a manufacturer. I started building a website. I got some photos done and it was just happening. There was all of a sudden just Did this... you talk to your mom about it when you had this idea in your head? I did. I think I did. But I was more... It was a lot of behind the scenes stuff for me. I was just like in action mode. I think I had done a lot of talking prior. So I had like this Google Doc with all the steps I needed to take and I was just taking action, which felt really good. Having an idea is only the first step. The deeper Elisa digs, the more she discovers. And the more she discovers, the more frustrated she gets. And the more frustrated she gets, the more determined she is to make a change. Before I launched this business, I wanted to feel like I had a grasp of the industry. So I started doing a lot of reading and I was looking into the history of the tampon and kind of how it had evolved over time. And what I started to learn was that there was this lack of transparency in the industry. So big name brand companies weren't obligated legally to list the ingredients of their products. Which, I know, that was a bizarre, actually. I never, before you shared that with me, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem plausible. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem right. Yeah. This yeah. is such a... <laughs> Bless you. <coughs> Bless you. <coughs> oh my God. Excuse me. That's so cute. I don't know what's, what's happening what's here. Happening. Someone's missing you. I think, yeah, I don't know if I'm allergic to something in here, but... Please not me. This is the only no. thing that's new here. No. Um, But... Yeah, so that information really disturbed me. And then I myself was like, okay, well, I'm not using those products anymore. And I started buying my tampons at the health food store right near my house in the annex. And I knew at that point, okay, this is going to be an organic service. And it kind of even became more important for me to start this business because I was like, women deserve to know this information. Like, it shouldn't be a hidden known fact that some tampons have bleach and pesticides and synthetic fibers that are known carcinogens like that is not information that women should just be stumbling upon if they're doing their homework on their tampons no that should be common knowledge like we deserve access to that information so all of a sudden I was almost angry and and really excited about the idea of educating women on this topic and then you just went ahead and then started this company or you did like the whole area of researching and trying to find the right manufacturer so yeah so it was a process so it was like okay I need the product so I want to make sure it's a product I believe in that's sourced properly I wanted to do a donation component so I wanted to find an organization that was championing this issue of girls in Kenya lacking access to products so 80% of girls and women in East Africa don't have access to menstrual hygiene products or health information health education information. So that was disturbing as well to learn. I didn't know that. 
Um, your, your ability and your experience in researching really comes in handy, eh? Totally, yeah. totally, yeah. And that's kind of become a part of me now. Like, I love finding out the details behind everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny how the things that you start out doing end up permeating the rest of your life. So I found this great organization called Zana Africa, who still inspires me to this day. So they work with community agencies in Kenya. They employ the local people. And they supply not just pads, but health education workshops. And now they've created a magazine that teaches health education to the girls that they serve in Kenya. Um, So 5% of the profits from my company get delivered to what they do. It was definitely a process of kind of having a general idea of what I wanted to do. And then as I did my homework on it, I started to learn about the industry and learn about what things I would change if I could go in blindly and just make this new And those things were, I would want it to be transparent. I'd want to know what's in the products I use and that they're safe. And also I'd want no girl to ever feel ashamed of her period. And I'd want all girls to have access to products. So what I'm trying to do is do my part to make those things a reality. Mm -hmm. Actually talking about no shame of uh, when you're having a period or about period in general. Kind of reminds me of the, the first campaign you did for AZ. Um, you work with uh, corset, 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 yeah. yeah. And then, how did that process come along? Because it's almost kind of disturbing to me in a way when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Makes me uncomfortable a little bit. Mm-hmm. Was that intentionally or? Yeah. So I think yeah. When we were creating this campaign with corset, they had asked me, you know, if you had to use one word to describe your business or what your mission is, what would it be? And I said to empower women. And that was a hard question to answer, but when I landed on Empowered, that felt right. They took kind of everything that I was looking to do and went away and they came back with this no shame campaign. And actually the first iteration of it was much more provocative than what we landed on. So yeah. And I was the first one. It was just above and beyond. And to me, it didn't feel true to my experience of Mm -hmm. menstruation, which is what I wanted. So I wanted something that was soft and feminine, but honest experiences that we might have all had um and that's exactly what they ended up providing in the end and yes it was intentional for people to not necessarily to feel uncomfortable but if they did feel uncomfortable to question why what is it about this that makes you feel uncomfortable and and it's okay to feel uncomfortable but I want to know is it you that feels uncomfortable or is it because somebody has told you that you should feel uncomfortable with your own body or with its functions or with this blood that comes out of you because you know if you watch a movie where men are shooting each other and they're bleeding it's almost like a sign of being a hero Mm -hmm. that you've you know you're tough and there's you're bleeding but you're okay whereas when a woman bleeds every month quietly and keeps going and the fact that that blood is kind of this excretion of the fact that she's decided this month not to create a new life. Mm-hmm. Like, how powerful is that? And is there a lot of uh, kind of concept associate or negativity associated with uh, this thing we have every month? Mm-hmm. People will use, like, ew or gross. A lot of, like, these kind of, like, negative yeah. image to it or yeah. expression to it. Is that something you personally experienced before starting easy or something? Yeah, I definitely felt... Maybe not full-blown shame, but not no pride. Definitely no pride in the fact that I menstruated. And yeah, definitely like from the men in my family, just this 
general sense of keep it quiet. I don't want to hear about that, which is not fair because that's part of my experience. And I would never tell somebody else that their experience, they should keep it silent. I think that's very harmful and detrimental. Whenever you tell somebody that your experience shouldn't, I don't want to hear about it, keep it quiet, that does something to you. That makes you think of of yourself or whatever it is you're going through as bad or shameful and it's not fair and i usually would say like oh my sister is in town how would you describe that when you have that every month yeah some people have some (laughs) weird description to it yeah so my thing was always i would say i'm on my thing on my thing (laughs) what other phrase you have heard before um like aunt flow that time of the month the Crimson Tide, I've heard. Oh. There's so many weird... I'm still struggling. I don't think I can say that aloud. Yeah. Yeah. So I still have, like, my sisters in town. <laughs> That's so weird. The first time I say that without knowing, another person might not get it. Mm. Like, I told my boyfriend, he's like, I didn't know you have a sister. <laughs> you confused him. Yeah, I Tell know. Tell him the truth. I know. But now I'm trying to, like, get over it. But like, once again, it is, right? People mm. don't feel comfortable with it. Yeah. And But this campaign definitely lent a lot of uh, press for you, a lot of, like, mm-hmm. positive image um, faces for you. Yeah. Um, did you expect that to be happening? Or that was something out of our uh, expectation? I was surprised by it. So Cossette, the team there, did brief me. They said, you know, like, this is a bit of a provocative campaign and people are going to take notice. And I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But I was, yeah, I was shocked. Like, I never expected in my first year to be written up in Fast Company and Marketing Mag and Huffington Post. Like, that was so exciting for me. And just to have this topic in those publications felt like a win. There were orders coming in. And at the end of the day, like, yeah, articles are fantastic, but the whole point of this was to get a safe product to women in an, in an efficient way. And so orders are coming in, and my priority is to get women their product. So, yeah, like, it, it was a nice bonus, but the work was just kind of getting started at that point. With all this positive feedback from the media and her customers, Alisa made the decision to quit her job and focus on the business. Her determination and hard work was why Easy was growing so fast in the first year. But living in an era when entrepreneurship is being championed and cherished, thanks to unicorn startup stories like Uber, Airbnb, and so on, there was an elephant in the room that no one seemed to want to talk about. I definitely felt isolated so it's something entrepreneurship is very it's a singular act like as much as you're collaborating with people and you need other people to succeed it's something you're doing alone and no matter if you have a partner or not there's only so much that you can share typically in a day you're connecting with so many people you're making so many plans you have so many visions for the future you can't necessarily let somebody in on all of that or all of the challenges that you're going through so it's definitely isolating and a lot of my friends met a lot of new friends who are pursuing similar paths but a lot of my friends from before that I had known before I launched the business 
they can't relate. Their life is very different. So that part of it is isolating. Um, in terms of feeling lonely, I mean, at times for sure, I will not deny that or being very aware that I'm alone in this, but it's something I've learned to be okay with that feeling alone. I don't feel lonely. I mm-hmm. feel alone, mm-hmm. but those are two different things. Um, but I'll be completely transparent, you know, like depression runs in my family. I am a hundred percent somebody who can and does get down, very down and I come to kind of accept that about myself where I have periods of depletion and where I need restoration. I need quiet. I need to be alone. And then it comes around and I I feel re-energized and I can do things again. You collaborate with so many female artists and did that decision come in very easily for you? Yeah, totally. I think that um, there's this idea a lot of times of like hiding your page. Like when you're doing a test, you don't want anybody to see your answers. Some people think that by spreading what they're doing around, it makes what they have less. Like by sharing the pie, they're dividing it up and their piece gets smaller. But I disagree. I think that what you give comes back to you. So if I give you collaboration and I give you the spotlight and a time to shine, what I'm doing is creating more. I think what you give multiplies. Um, And I think that that's a gracious way to look at life. And it's, it's about gratitude, I think, at the end of the day. Like when you appreciate what you have and who's around you and what they have, you create the capacity for more. Like I I might, it might get too woo-woo for people, but to me, it's about energy and what you focus on. If you focus on how much there is and how many people there are and how many great things they bring to the table you open up this channel of abundance and of more but if you're focusing on okay there's only this much there's competition i can't let them in i have to keep her out oh no she's doing this that's just a restricting kind of energy and that creates less and then the, it's not, the channel isn't open for more to flow in. That's how I look at things. So what do you do when you feel like, oh my God, I'm having some negative energy right now. Or some, I can feel some negative, negative energy around me. Mm. Is there I anything pray. you would do? You pray? Yeah. Really? Yeah. All the time. All day. I pray to see things a different way. Um, I pray for peace. I pray to see obstacles as a detour in the right direction. I pray to be guided. A year in a business, Elisa now standing at an intersection where she needs to make another important decision for her business. I kept the business growing. I met a lot of people. I invested a lot of time into building this thing from the ground up. And this summer I made the choice in August to return to work so for a few reasons so financially I knew that if I continued to live off the business so to pay my rent off the business I wouldn't be able to grow the business and that was a pretty crucial decision because I this is something that I believe in and I want it to grow but I don't want to rush it it's like a baby or it's like a tree that you plant and you have to give it all the things it needs and sometimes one of those things is financial actually always, um, and you can't rush it. 
you can't expect it to grow at a pace that it maybe isn't. So, you know, I'm able-bodied. I have earning potential and I'm lucky enough to have found a role. I'm working at a place now where I feel inspired. I feel busy every day, which is good for me. I think it's good for my mental health. It's good for me um, to remember that I'm competent in other areas. And it's challenging for sure to do both. Um, And I need to sometimes just be gentle with myself. But also there's something to be said for pushing yourself past your comfort zone sometimes. Mm -hmm. Just getting up and getting out and just making it happen. So How do you kind of balance this too? Yeah. Because they kind of like a fine line between like always about pushing yourself, as you mentioned, right? Mm. Pushing yourself out there, mm-hmm. stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, another side is self-love, taking care of yourself. Yeah. Take time for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes well, hard to, you know... Navigate. Yeah, and, of course, yeah. talking is always easier than actually doing it. Right. So I guess my honest answer is that I don't balance it. It's something I'm still learning to navigate. So... That's a good thing for me about having a job to get up and go to is I have no choice. I have to get up and go. So that that's a good way to push myself. And the fantastic thing about having something like easy that I love is that I want to get up and do it. So it's not to say on the weekend I might not sleep till 10, but then when I'm ready, I want to work on it because I love it. So that's a good thing for me. But it's something that I'm just learning to be gentle with myself about as I learn. So... I end up often booking my schedule so jam-packed and sometimes I run myself ragged doing that and then I have to stop and I need to have a bath and I need to rejuvenate myself and sleep and just pull away from social media and my email and everything like that. Um, But I haven't learned how to avoid getting to that place. This conversation was recorded last November when Elisa was still working full-time and building easy. And as I shared in the beginning, there has been a lot of updates in Elisa's life since we last chatted. So I gave her a call a few days ago. And here's our phone conversation. Hello? (laughs) Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Guess where I am right now? Where? I'm actually on my bed under the blanket, trying to absorb the sound. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm on my couch under a blanket, not trying to absorb the sound. Since we talked last time during the interview, there are so many things have happened. A lot of updates from your side. Is there anything else that you, you feel like has been a pretty good milestone that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I really, like, took some time to think over Christmas holiday. Mm-hmm. And I was really, I got sick, actually, which sometimes I think forces you to pause and think. Like, I had a really bad um, virus. Oh, wow. Was that before we met or after? That was after. It was just after Christmas. Oh, Wow. Yeah, so I got sick, and I was just, like, at home cooped up sick, and I just started thinking about the last year and this year coming and just feeling this internal, like, turmoil, knowing that I wanted to put more energy toward being with women, pretty much, and, like, working with women and and easy periods, so 
I started dreaming up ways that I could kind of make that happen. Mm-hmm. I think I'm totally the type to go, 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 and almost like not give myself a chance to think until something forces me to. Mm. And I think sometimes life puts those things there for a reason, like something with your health to force you to stop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, I think, yeah, that forced me to. And I've also been working with a business coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been talking and just kind of clarifying, you know, I think I was really kind of burning myself out trying to, to work and do this full time. It was a lot talking to this business coach. I kind of just got to say to her, you know, I feel like I got really sick because I'm just doing too much and wearing myself too thin. And then she was saying, ideally, what would your schedule look like? And so I kind of defined that. And then she said, okay, so what can you do to make that happen? And I opened myself to the possibility that maybe I could do that part-time and do other things more fulfilling to supplement that income and yeah, I think I just removed like the mental barrier to doing that, and then now it's happening. Mhm. And what was your schedule like before you realized that was going to lead into how the possibility of burning out? So I was working eight to four at the clinic, mm-hmm. and then like every night and every weekend on easy. Every night and weekend. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. What is your schedule like now? So now I'm working 8 to 4, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm-hmm. And then I work like Tuesday and Thursday full time on, on easy and then some some evenings and weekends. Wow. I'm surprised because I wasn't aware that you were sick. How are you now? Yeah, I feel better. I'm excited for the workshop you're having at your home. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How did you come up with the idea? Yeah, I've been thinking about it for a really long time because when I got this apartment, I knew that there was so much extra space um, and space that's been unused. And space is such a commodity, I think, you know, and to have the space to host people is like my dream and I just I always had a vision for that front room as a space where I could host people um and I think I just had to like do it you know a lot of times like I'm the type to just overthink things and wait and hold off and sometimes you just have to go for it will you be scared that because it's such an intimate space and then you would welcome people some people you probably know but some people are just strangers to come to your home in such an intimate and private space. Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't bug me. I think, like, it, I wouldn't want it in my bedroom. That's weird. But <laughs> I feel very much that anybody who feels called to come to something like that, there's a reason for it. It doesn't bother me at all. Like, I'm, it excites me, actually, the thought that whoever's, whoever that resonates with and wants to come will be here and I can host them. Like, that really excites me. Alyssa is definitely one of the brave ones. Despite all these achievements she has, she isn't afraid to share the pain and struggles she's still going through. Of course, it's always easier to share the struggles when we already conquered obstacles and walked out of the dark. It's never easy to share the downs when you're still living in there. 
I'm meant to do what I'm doing now, but in a bigger way. I'm meant to grow in, as a person, individually, and to be vulnerable about what I go through in a way that makes other people feel that they can do the same. So I want to just be transparent about what I go through, my ups, my downs, my wins and losses, um, and continue to share that with people in the hopes that that will inspire them to just be who they are, be honest about what they're going through, and to share their gifts. Like that to me is like my gift is the ability to connect with people, to shine light on people. And I just want to do that in bigger ways or in whatever way. I feel guided to. When did you find your gift? Oh my gosh, Sasha. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't think, I think it was always there and it was just a matter of kind of taking all the, sh- the crap off that I thought, that who I thought I was or what I thought I should do or what I thought people expected me to do and just to do what feels good. You know what I mean? I think sometimes it's hard because what feels good could come from a place from pride. And that sometimes can lead mm-hmm. to something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you scratch that off? Because sometimes it's hard to kind of peel it off. Yeah, I don't know. And and I actually wrote that in my journal last night is like, am I, am I doing all of this just to prove to myself that I'm good enough? Do I just want press and to be connected to people and written about in blogs to prove to myself that I'm good enough? And that's a possibility. Like... Maybe I'm just really searching for someone to say, you're enough. Like we all are, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's about, for me, it's about kind of turning that over and like asking whoever you believe in or whatever you believe in for me, like my higher power, what am I meant to do? Show me, what's your will for me? And my hope is that if I'm focused on that, if I'm focused on serving other people, that it's not coming from a place of ego or from a place of needing to fill myself up. If I'm focused on serving you, I can't be too focused on me. Yeah. I don't know, though. That's beautiful, though. (laughs) Um, Have you found your purpose, you think? I mean, you find your gift. I think so. What's your purpose? I think it's to just be a light in a a dark world. I have to say, you are a light. (laughs) Whatever that means. I know for some people listening, they're probably going to be like, what is she talking about? (laughs) But meaning... But you shed so much light on, on my life when I went to that event. I, I know it sounds cliche and cheesy, but it changed <laughs> my life. Oh my god. I seriously did. Um, I think it just happened to the right time right for time. me. Right time, yeah. Because I was going through that phase and then I went to that event and then the vibe was right. So... And and as I said, you just like this beautiful lady in the dress, and then so humble. Oh, yeah, gosh. that was beautiful. I was like, I want to be her friend. Yeah, <laughs> look who we are. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, so last some rapid fire questions. Okay, you have to answer as quickly as possible. All right. Okay. Scared? No, you'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. If you could be well known for one thing and one thing only, what would that be? Love, giving love. If you could travel along for a week, where would you go? Kenya. What's the last thing you googled? Oh my god. Uh, I don't know, that's so hard, I have to look. Let's see. Let's see. Does it show you that? Google. I think like history or something. 
Oh, I googled what $104 US is in Canadian. <laughs> Not good at math. That's cute. Um, the best and worst advice you're ever given. Oh, the worst is like grow, 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 scale, scale, scale. Give me a break. The best is to trust your intuition. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> and if we can be a color, what would that be? Yellow. Yellow? Yeah. I didn't expect that. Yeah. I thought it would be pink. No. Then why did you choose uh, pink for easy? Well, that's the brand, right? Yellow is me. Okay. Are you a morning or night person? Neither. I'm like a midday person. Oh my God. Why do you have to be so special? Stop it. <laughs> I'm not like, I don't like to stay up late. I get too tired and I hate waking up early. So I like the middle of the day. That's or like so... right before the sun sets. That's the best. Oh, stop it. You're a poet. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question. Uh, when was the last time you felt lonely? Probably the last time it rained. Sometimes when it rains, I feel lonely. Cool. Okay. I don't want it to end anymore. That's so cool. Thank you so much. We're, yeah. we're like sitting here beside her bed. Yeah. On the floor. Cozy. Yeah. Very cozy. And it's getting darker though. But thank you so much for inviting us in here. Oh, thank you. So much coming. energy here. It's great. Yeah. It's so fun. Okay. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Please help us spread the love so we are able to connect with more women and reach out to more inspirational guests to share their stories with you. This podcast is currently not sponsored by anyone but my own pockets. Of course, I love what I do here, but your support will keep me going. We are now on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please head over to write us a review or comment so we can get noticed by more women who may find our conversations helpful. And if you like, check us out on Instagram at Dear Seekers. We release an episode every other Thursday. See you in the next one. Until then, happy seeking. <laughs>